Welcome to series two of the Big Beatles Sort Out. In the first series, I, author and musician Gary Abbott, ranked all the Beatles core catalogue releases with the help of my Beatles expert brother Paul. In series two, we're looking at a selection of unreleased songs and alternative versions that appeared in the anthology, songs they wrote for other artists and more. So join us as we continue to sort out the Beatles. Welcome to episode 51 and welcome to Paul the Tea in China Abbott. Oh, blimey. That's uh, that's a lot of tea. It is. I've just moved on to general phrases now, Paul. <laughs> no, blimey. You couldn't have maintained it through to the end of this little run. <laughs> no. No, it's fair enough. Um, happy New Year. Happy New, Merry New, Happy. Yes, I mean, in the real podcast world, Happy New Year to people who are listening to this. For us, it's yes. not, we're not quite there yet, but you should be listening to this in early January, all being well. So um, thanks for joining us again, and thanks for joining us, Paul. Mm. Don't forget you can follow us at big underscore sort on Twitter and Instagram, or email us at bigbeetlesorter at gmail.com. And please like and share our posts and tell everyone, which reminds me, um, Amazon have now... Is it Amazon? No, Spotify. Spotify have now introduced a rating function on their podcasts, which they never had before, which I didn't realise because I don't listen to them through there. But I know a lot of people do. So please, if you are a Spotify listener, or even if you're not, um, and you're listening, you should now be able to hit a star rating, maybe five stars or something like that. That would be nice. Yeah. Yeah. So um, unlike Amazon, which don't have anything at the moment. But yeah, so um, if you could do that, that's new. So that would be good. Sure well, that would there help. You go. Um, I don't know how many people listen to podcasts through Spotify. I imagine it's probably quite a lot these days. Probably, probably they're, they're, they're quite big, aren't they, in the older world of things? Paul, have you got anything you'd like to tell people for the new year or the Christmas period? No, I, I've got nothing. 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 <laughs> I've, nothing. I'm just hoping that when this episode comes out, everyone is safe and well, and things yeah. are as good as they can be. Looking forward into. Uh, the brand new year of 2022, which is an unfeasibly stupid year to live in, really, because <laughs> yeah. I still remember 1990 coming around and being like, what? Yeah, never really and occurred to I'm me. sure there'll be people listening to this who'll be going, oh, I remember a 1980, whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, 2022, it sounds even more bizarre than 2021, so. It is, I hope. It's not as bizarre. Demonstrating my old manness there. Yeah, oh, 2022. I like the idea of living in the 20s, but not so far. Well, this is what we need. We need to get through all this rubbish that's going on at the moment and then have a sort of new roaring 20s where we're yes. all drinking, you know, stacks of champagne glasses in speakeasies and stuff like that. As yeah. everybody did during the 1920s. Every yeah, single person had a brilliant yeah. time. Not just the small select people who wrote all the things that we know now about now. Yes. Um, yes. Okay. Well... Let's then, Paul. On this, so this is the final episode. We should say of the um, of the five um, episodes we've done on the songs they gave away. So we're going to finish off, and it's only a, it should be a little bit smaller because we're only doing four songs, aren't we? So um, yes, that's so going to round off with the numbers. Yeah, that's going to round off this little bit of the series before we take a little break, um, and we'll talk about that after we finish. But before we do any of that, we should talk about this Beatles Day being the third of January. The 3rd of January, and I've kept it ludicrously simple this time. Mm. I've gone back to 1926. Okay, that's... um. You say simple, but get time. Time, complexities of time. Mm. Time for time. Uh, 3rd of January, 1926, and the, the reason it's simple is because my statement is simply this. George Martin is born. 
Ah, which is quite so, important. Absolutely, it is. Mm. Uh, yeah, um, he's just such a wonderful, amazing, significant figure in in the Beatles world, and yeah. by extension beyond that, into so many interesting and wonderful areas. Not least his work with various what you'd call comedy or novelty artists. Although I don't, yeah. you know, that term's always a bit of a funny one, but just just brilliant, brilliant man. And, you know, he di- he was 90 when he died. He, d- he had, as they say, a good innings. Mm. But, yeah, just so much that he'd done in his life, even beyond the Beatles. The fact that he, he, he left his job in EMI to become, to start an, an independent record, record producer's, you know, organisation. Just so changing the dynamic of relationships in the recording industry and things like that. The work he did on films, all the, you know... Mm. All the stuff he did with all sorts of people, he's yeah, just amazing. I saw him once give a talk. Oh, really? When I was at university, we were invited to a talk. So I was at university at the University of Liverpool, mm. and I we were invited over to Lipper uh, for a talk given in, I presume, a, a whole bunch of local universities and people doing all sorts of courses. I was studying music and popular music. Yeah. And just... I, I can't remember anything he said other than someone asked a silly question about what what was the magic the Beatles have and can I, can I have some? Mm. And he made some comedy gesture about sprinkling fairy dust over, yeah. you know, into the audience. But he's already he was already quite deaf by then, so he's uh, he did struggle with his hearing. Mm. Uh, but it was amazing to have just been in a room with him. Can't remember yeah. anything else he said, but I just know that I've been in a room with George Martin. Oh yeah, that's that's good enough, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just what, soak up the vibes. What a legend! Absolutely, you can't imagine that anything of the so much. I, I can't imagine. I think he was one of those things that um, needed to be in place for everything that we're talking about here to have happened. I think you know. I'm sure. Oh yeah, they I mean, he's, he's a, a, a big cog, yeah. a very big cog in this. There's almost anyone else that the Beatles could have been farmed off to or could have landed with, the story would not have been the same, no. regardless of their own brilliance. Yes. You need, you know, you need someone else radical. And he was radical in his own way, even though he appears, you know, when you see pictures of him in his shirt and tie and stuff, he appears to be establishment, but he's not. You know, yeah. he was so much more than that. And he was prepared to take risks and believe in people and 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 guide it's yeah oh good, what a man good old george and now we're going to do an episode where we don't refer to him once oh, okay <laughs> well but but we, we 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 hold him in our hearts as we talk about our first song this week which is sour milk sea jackie lomax Sour milk sea, Paul. Sounds like a horrible holiday, Gary. Yeah. yeah. No, sour milk. So our first non-Lennon McCartney one. Yes. Our only non-Lennon McCartney one mm. in the whole thing. That's a bit of a giveaway for the next few few ones here. But it's uh, simply the fact that we've limited our choices here to songs that the 
Beatles gave away or were given away by members of the Beatles during the period that the Beatles were a band yes, operating. Those parameters sound right. Yeah, more or less. So, because yeah. George wrote stuff that went to other artists afterwards. Mm. But during the, the, the main period of the Beatles, this is his only one. We've got into basically the Apple era now. Yeah. Is, is essentially where we are. So Sound Milksy is recorded on the 24th, 25th and 26th of June 1968 at EMI to start off with and then in Trident and it's produced by George. Produced by George, George. George Harrison. George the Harrison, yeah. Yes. Uh, it's released as a single on the 26th of August 1968 on Apple, backed with a song called The Eagle Laughs at You. It's part of what Apple called Our First Four. Okay. which was the first four singles that they put out on their record label, mm-hmm. which I think were released all on the same day in America or, and about over a fortnight in the UK. Mm. So you essentially you have the Beatles doing Hey Jude. Okay. You have Mary Hopkin doing Those Were The Days. Right. You have John Foster Limited Black Dyke Mills Band doing Thingamabob. Which we talked about last week. Which we've covered. Yeah. And we have this. Okay. That's an interesting uh, selection, isn't it? It is. And it's... Uh, what's odd about this is that this does not chart. Does it? Doesn't it? No. Oh. No. Unbelievably, yeah. this just this just gets lost in a wash of, of stuff. Yeah. Like Hey Jude and Those Were The Days, which were huge, huge results yeah, for, the, bit, for Apple. It's a bit stacked against George, isn't it, really? As, as like something he's written and produced for someone else and they put out but they put it out at the same time as one of their own singles yeah they've not really thought that through have they it's well it's not a, i don't think it's a situation you'd get in now because yeah. anyone with a, a, an ounce of business sense yeah. wouldn't have done that why are we competing think. with ourselves at the, yeah yeah why we, we, we people have got a bit of money for a for a single they're not going to come out with four hmm. yeah it's it's absolutely bonkers uh, but yeah, f- for some reason, this just gets lost in in in, mm. in the mass of of stuff, and I think that's a real shame. Yeah, for this song, I, I'm not saying that it's it's my absolute favourite by any means, but for what it is, this sounds to me like a charting song, not yeah. not necessarily a mega hit, but a good charting song. And um, yeah, that's it's very odd. Yeah. So, what can you say before I? start on about it can you say why george do you know why george put this one up for being recorded by jackie lomax did he do it specifically for him or is it something that the 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 rest of the boys weren't interested in do we know that or well we know that we've got a beatles version of it in the sense that it's one of the isha demos oh yeah from may of 1968 and it was written in rishikesh like most of those things were Mm. and i mean i've got my copy of or one of my copies of I, Me, Mine here. Hmm. Uh, I think they would have recorded it. I think that's another thing with this one, is people hear the final version with, by Jackie Lomax hmm. and go, why didn't the Beatles put this on the White Album? It's another one of these. Why do you have piggies on there when you could have had Sour Milk yeah, Sea? Yeah. Uh, I sort of understand that argument. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know why that doesn't end no, up being I, a, a George thing. I understand that in the sense that... Um why it isn't really because I, th- I think it's it's a very George sounding song rather than a George Beatles White Album sounding song. I think it's a it's the kind of thing that would be held over. I think 
I'm surprised he didn't hold it over for his own solo stuff, but you wouldn't have been thinking those maybe in those terms in 68 as much. But yeah, um, it's nice to have one of George's though. I've missed him in these last few episodes because he's not played much of a part, him and Ringo, have they? So No, no. And this is very George. This is the thing. It's right down to that kind of unconventional choice of chord changes that he likes to do. You do you know what I mean? When he when he writes, yes, totally, yeah. He, he rarely takes the route one resolution to a chord pattern, and I wonder if this is kind of a the result of him being in the room writing with Lennon and McCartney, or not not writing with them, but writing around Lennon and McCartney, and thinking, well, they would go here with this. I can't just do that because that's what they they do. And George thinks if if the year wants that to resolve there, I'm going to go here with it. I'm going to go slightly different. And then it ends up with being having its own kind of resolution. I wonder if some of that is actually him trying not to do the route one, because Lennon, I think I, mean, no, I think yeah. you're right. I think that's a good argument because there is a definite Georgeness to his solo stuff. Yeah. Uh, I mean, with even with John, some of his early solo stuff is Beatles yeah. stuff, really. Whereas I think you're right. George does have a very distinct personality, and this is one of those sorts of songs. Yeah. Whereas things like something. Is yes. Beatles George? That's it. That's it. Yeah, rather than solo George. Yeah. Or or um, well, my guitar. You know, it's it it goes down the kind of pattern in the way you'd expect it to go. It's amazing, but it's a Beatles. That's a Beatles George kind of thing. But this is a George George. I think more like um, a bit more. All things yeah. must pass and and stuff like that. So yeah. Well, apparently there's like well, not apparently there is a version of George demoing this at the start of the All Things Must Pass sessions. Oh, and he, he, okay. So I wonder whether he was considering perhaps I'll do my own version. I haven't got that box set to, to or read any of the accompanying stuff with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, there's another version of, of George demoing this in 1970, right. I think. So. Oh, cool. I mean, it's it's great. I, I'm really surprised to hear George produce it himself, but we're not going to talk about production just yet. But I like the style because it's kind of got... It's kind of. I'm, I'm going to use the words boogie-woogie a bit here. It has boogie a bouncy boogie. boogie feel to it. It starts off, it's got that kind of chugging piano chords and loads of twiddles in the guitars constantly, so it's always in motion. Very f- frenetic guitar. And the bass starts kind of strict, kind of on the on the root. But by the end of it, it's doing a kind of a really frenetic walking bass line. It's a bit, a bit like caught in a trap. You know, Elvis, caught in a trap. It's always moving. Um, and a really fast, frenzied rock and roll boogie. Um which the piano also does, kind of building up its riffs and solos. It, it's really well played and performed. Who's actually playing on it then? Well, let me let me run down the contributors to this. Mm. We have Jackie Lomax on vocals. Yes. Even though he was a bass player himself, he doesn't play bass on this. Okay. We have George Harrison mm. on acoustic guitar and second electric lead guitar. Okay. So the solos from about two minutes and ten seconds into this which are buried in the mix, yeah. are George. We have Eric Clapton doing the main lead guitar, ah, okay. as if you couldn't guess from right. listening to it. Now you've said that, it's like, of course you have. That's why it's got that, that, it's got that cream feel to it, hasn't it? Yeah. We have Nicky Hopkins on piano, who okay. obviously played with the Beatles a bit around this time. We have um, some chancer called Paul McCartney on bass. Is it Paul? Yeah. So it's and a very some, Beatles song, isn't it, this one? And some weird lad called Ring Knots Rats. Ogne Rats. 
uh, Ringo Starr on drums. Oh, okay. So it's pretty much a Beatles song with Jackie Lomax singing it. Yeah, sort of. Yeah. Given that George was in the Beatles, Eric's played on Beatles stuff, Nicky's yeah. played on Beatles stuff, Paul has played on Beatles stuff, and Ringo has okay. played on Beatles Funny stuff. Enough. And it's not unusual for John to not to be in the room recording something anyway at this stage, is Yeah, it? certainly. Oh, okay. Well, that's, that's really interesting. It's so Beatles, is it? Beatles, it's actually Beatles. And yeah. then it still didn't... Oh, what, what, they completely threw this away with their marketing, didn't they? Um, yeah, I like the um, Jackie Lomax vocal. I think he, he he's more on the kind of Roger Daltrey, Joe Cocker end of things, isn't he? Uh, yeah, I think I think that's a, yeah, that's a sort of fair comparison. I mean, the, the background to Jackie Lomax is he used to be in a Liverpool group called The Undertakers who had like a, a small hit and a couple of sort of failed singles. They were offered management from Epstein, I think, and they turned it down. And but his basically his career path up to about sixty four sixty five was exactly the same as the Beatles. Okay. So he was around doing the Cavern, did Dunhamburg and all that sort of stuff in various groups. Yeah. Then get signed off the you know the big wave of interest in in the Liverpool groups. Mm. But obviously it doesn't go quite as well as it goes yeah. for the Beatles. And then afterwards, yeah, I think I get the feeling John tried to bring him into Apple. Or John suggested he come to Apple and do a song with with them. I haven't got that information. I read that somewhere. I think I'm sure someone will prove me wrong, but it ends up then being like George who takes him under his wing. Right. So yeah, he's, he's a good um, he's a good singer. I think he's you know he's got he's got definitely got um, star factor. Did he do much else? Did he get very far? You know, would you would I know him from other things? Not really. These days, that's the weird thing. Um, we talk about how, you know, people's legacy for things. Mm. And, yeah, I don't know why it's not really not really lasted. And I think at the time, he was very well thought of. Mm. And he still is in certain sort of areas, certain sort of, you know, in rock history people like Jackie Lomax's yeah. stuff but it's just it's just didn't ever hit with the public big okay so, right. the, so the spread of the career never got quite as big as it needed to be after leaving Apple Lomax joined a band called Heavy Jelly <laughs> oh, oh Heavy Jelly oh well yeah. I said Heavy Jelly yeah. mm. okay well I'd be interested in hearing a bit more from him but then I, it's hard to tell because it's so much a George song and in fact it's so much a George song is George even singing in the background well, this is a thing. Uh, this is probably a little sort of production thing, isn't it? I think he is. Yeah. I think essentially what he's done is George has recorded his acoustic guitar and done a guide vocal. Yeah. And, they've just kept and there's like spill that. onto the acoustic yeah. guitar, isn't there? And so it's it's come through as a... as It's almost like a little ghost George in the background. Yeah, which is fine when, it's in, when they're singing it the same as each other, but they're not in the last verse. But anyway. But it's a, it's a really good solid rock of this. I like it. I, it might have being able to have a, a little bit of fat trimmed off it at kind of nearly four minutes, you feel like it could have been tightened up. It, but then it's got a kind of a... Once it's getting really going by the second half, it's kind of a real... It's a good dancey type of tune, so actually, why not keep it keep it rolling, you know? It's um, it's 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 also got that feel of it, it like um, whatever gets you through the night. It's got that real e- yeah, energy no, and speed I, I, and I would Yeah, uh, I would agree with you there. Yeah. It's... Um... Which is interesting because it's not the Beatlesy sounding kind of thing, but it is basically the Beatles. So, yeah, I'm going to give it 76 for music. I think it's a stomper. Yeah. Uh, cool. Production then. Um, I've said about I like the energy and the 
it's got an energy, but and a kind of an apparent looseness about it because there's lots of improv going on in the in the parts of the piano player that Nicky, what's his face, Nicky Hopkins, Hopkins, very good piano player, evidently. Um, oh yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, he played on loads of stuff, but uh, yeah. but and once you've got Eric on there as well, you yeah. just basically get Eric noodles all over everything. Uh, yeah, there is lots of, and that's I like that noodly guitar thing. Um, that's a good way of saying it rather than riffy. Just lots of little trills and pull-offs and hammer-ons all around the place. Everything's always like ding a ding a It's always moving, adding a little semi-quaver type of feels to everything. Um, and because it's, I presume, I was going to say, because I didn't know it was George who produced it, the drums are all over in the left, aren't they? So George is doing what he's used to. Think- it's some classic instruments all on one side mixing. Yeah. So like uh, Clapton's guitar is like all over in the right speaker and the drums are all over in the left channel, which you, by that point in 1968, when things are being considered more for stereo, mm. you don't tend to, you know, the, the prevailing processes and you don't do that with drums no you keep everything you have your drums spread across the stereo pan and you have your bass right in the center and you have a real solid common thing in in the stereo picture yeah and then you spread your instruments around around that but no i think yeah it's (laughs) given the beatles really didn't care about stereo until the very last minute yeah of their career i think george is like well that's yeah do that then yeah it makes it gives it that I like it for listening on headphones um, I understand maybe in clubs and things it might be a bit annoying because of trying to stereo out through PA systems and things but but um, yeah so I think I like that I, I think that the things that are a bit off is that we've got, we've got that not quite scrubbed George vocal guide kind of c- conflicting it with the the main vocal in the only in the real second uh, third verse I think it is it doesn't work as well because Jack Lomax is trying to do something slightly different and George is still back in the background singing it how it was. And because George is out to singing his falsetto sort of George voice. Yeah. Whereas Jackie Lomax can hit those high notes yeah. in a rock voice. Which is which I can I could I'd like to have heard it. I really would like to have heard it in a George. Oh no, I have heard it in a George thing. What we're we talking about. George it would suit either, really, but this version needs needs a Jackie Lomax type of voice. But yeah, and then there's that there's the thing with the solos. Now I it's a bit strange. Because an organ joins in, and then they're like, and then two solos seem to happen both at the same time, but both really faint in the mix. Yeah, something weird goes on there. I don't know what's happening. It's like you can tell it's George doing a solo at that point, Mm. but it sort of like makes itself known and then sort of vanishes off, lost in the mix. Yeah, somewhere. So I don't know if it's. And then the, the guitar that was already there is kind of doing something off, off solo as well. Yeah. But it does kind of have a nice overall effect that's a bit weird. So I think that might have been done on purpose, you know. But it, I think it works okay. It's, it, but it does it does kind of stand out as like, well, it could have just had a normal solo there in the centre. Up front and centre, guitar does a solo, move on. But it's it's kind of like, oh, there's, there's two solos. They're both faint. They're kind of in each ear. But anyway, it, I think it kind of works in a way. I, I like it. Seventy-eight for production. I've given it. Okie dokie. I think George has done a good job. I'm super surprised. Um, didn't know how much of that kind of thing George did. So then we get to lyrics. Um, so the sour milk sea idea as a general metaphor is okay. You know. Well, would you like a little bit of background on Go it on first? Then. So just so, like I said, I have my copy of I Me Mine here. Mm. Uh, it was. Uh, it's based on Vishvasara Tantra from Tantric Art. Okay. Quote, what is here is elsewhere. What is not here is nowhere. It's a picture, and the picture is called Sour Milk Sea. Oh. 
the origin and growth of Jambudvita, the central continent surrounded by fish symbols, according to the geological theory of the evolution of organic life on Earth. That's the origin of the song title, he says, but he says then it's really it's about meditation and it's the idea about if you get stuck in the uh, in the mud, don't go about moaning about it, do something about it, essentially. Which is great. And it's so he's such a he's such a contradiction, isn't he, George? Sometimes, <laughs> because yeah. out of all of them, his lyrics often are the most moany, and kind of like you know, my well, yeah. Ironically, I've, in this, <laughs> the way I mean mine is printed out. The page with the lyrics for Sour Milk Sea is opposite the page for the lyrics for Not Guilty. Yeah, it's, it's like yeah. one is all about moaning about other people, and the other one's about telling people to stop moaning and just get on with it. And, and watch it because I'm re-watching the anthologies that I've mentioned. And I love George's his little talking head bits. But he, and he's he's obviously laughing. He's such a funny guy and finds things funny. But he's he's also a narky guy as well. He is a narky kind of bloke who's a bit like, oh, yeah, I'm great. Go, go, go. Oh, yeah, he's an absolute narc. You know, he's just, he's, he's a... <laughs> so, and, and that might be right why he wrote needed to write these songs and go on that path because he, he, he recognised it in himself, you know. So the idea of even without the the the, um, the karmic tantric type of background to this, I mean, the idea that getting yourself out of a funk by not letting yourself dwell on it is pretty easy to to latch onto, isn't it? And a sour milk see that he's borrowed the idea of swimming in your own sour milk, whatever, not your own. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just, no. just in the idea, swimming in your in, in your in your misery is is great. And yeah, but then the rest of the words really kind of focus on what you could get if you get yourself out of that. So it's like a release from limitation results the most from everything you do, your dreams to come true. Get out of Sour Milk Sea now for just nine ninety nine. It's like it's 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 almost when you write them down, it just strikes me as sounding a bit like a, 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 as a as a self management plan thing, but um, a self improvement uh, advert. But, but yeah, so. It's it's okay, you know. It's um it's okay, I think. What do you think about it's, that? It's okay. Hmm. Um, it's yeah, they're all right. I don't mind the lyrics too much. I like the. It's a good. It's a good image to take. Yeah. Sour milk sea. It's a good title to choose. I think the thing that's most interesting in the lyrics here, considering when this is produced and recorded mm. and released, is that it contains the phrase "get back" quite a lot. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get back to where you should be, and a chorus that ends with "Get back, get back." Yeah, I thought. And then that. we've we've been watching Paul Paul get back out of thin air on the Get Back documentary mm. series in an astonishing moment. Yeah, uh, of of creativity, you know, captured on camera, and George looking quite miserable while he's doing it. Mm. <laughs> and I'm wondering if he's thinking, "I've heard these lyrics somewhere before, yeah. and I wrote them." Yeah, I never thought of that. You know, I was listening to it, thinking, "Oh, it's a bit." It does, I mean, I don't think you could ever draw more than a kind of, well, you know, obviously the words are they're the same, but yeah, it is, no, I don't know, it is, it is a funny one. Yeah, well, I mean, George would be very hard-pressed to yeah. um, accuse anyone of borrowing stuff. <laughs> so. Yeah, of course, yeah, I mean, this entire, the title of the entire song and the kind of lyrical hook is, isn't even, is his, isn't his, so he's taking it from something, yeah. Anyway, it's, it's. Yeah, 60 for lyrics I've given it, which gives it 71.3 overall. Yeah, I had a little review I found of, of the first four from Apple in the Observer 
mm. newspaper from September the 1st, 1968. And the bit for Sour Milk Sea says, then, uh, one Jackie Lomax renders a George Harrison rock and roll tune, Sour Milk Sea. It has distinguished instrumentation and skillful production. Yeah, skillful production. Skillful production. Its harshness crackles around the imagination long after the content of the song has been forgotten. Were it not for this harshness, it would sound like 40 other rock and roll all-purpose socket to them do wah diddies. I don't, I, don't, I don't agree with that review. Yeah, I don't know. I also found a, a nice full-page advert for uh, Our First Four from Apple in Billboard magazine. But the scan of it and the archive that I was looking at, someone has literally cut out the bottom corner, which is where the, the Hey Jude single would, <laughs> would be. So it's just like a black square on the page <laughs> which is also clearly whoever owned that copy of billboard magazine had cut that out for their own scrapbook before they scanned uh, it yeah. that's insane that that's ended up on the official like on an official newspaper archive <laughs> weird um yeah so we have a beatles version to listen to which we mentioned which is his escher demo so let's have a little listen to that And what we've got here is essentially George, like all the Escher demos, and, and his guitar, some bongos, Ringo bongos. Yeah, a bit of percussion in there. Is it? Would it be George double tracking? It would be, it? yeah, because that's where they're all around there, just sitting around George's oh, yes. four four track basically. You know, doing a couple little bits of double tracking and stuff. Yeah. Some places credit that Paul playing the bass on that demo, but he doesn't. He it's, plays it on. There's no bass the on main that demo, song. Is there? You know, there's nothing on there. It's just a guitar and George. And you, you hear what a George version would sound like, you know, with his falsetto voice and stuff, and and it would have been. He would have sat easily alongside, in fact, better than some of the stuff on All Things Must Pass, I think. It would have been one, I'm surprised, I'm, I'm sure he, he hoped that it would be more of a hit in its own right, and it's just a shame. Um, the, the thing that I actually liked about this, which doesn't doesn't survive into the Lomax version, is the harmonies. There's, har- yeah, there's harmonies yeah. that he does, which are really nice, but it doesn't doesn't go into the the, the proper version. Yeah, mm. that's true. Yeah. No, it's it's an odd. It's just odd that this song didn't end up being a hit. Yeah, it it, it should have been really, given the the sort of rock nature of the charts at the time. It, you know, it wasn't an outlier compared to like that rather snarky review says there was mm. lots of stuff around like that that was doing well, and this one had most of the Beatles on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just think it's just a failure in marketing. That is, um, they would have been pushing their. I mean, they would have been. Every conversation would have been about Hey Jude, wouldn't it? That, that's their, where their hearts would have lied. So it would lay. I'm not quite sure. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Okay. Well, what we could do is we could encourage everybody on here to go onto the Spotify playlist linked and to listen to it and get it into the Spotify the chart. The streaming chart. Yeah, yeah. We'll make a hit out of it yet. But um, just listening to it and appreciate it. It's a really good song. Except that it's got Eric Clapton on and he's a horrible person. So don't make it hit. Okay, we'll leave it to your own judgment. Let's move on to the next one, which is Goodbye by Mary Hopkin.
by Paul. It's too easy, Harry. Too easy. I'm to... sure we've done that before, haven't yeah. we? Yeah. No. Uh, mm, yeah. Goodbye. Credited to Lennon McCartney, but it's Paul McCartney. Yeah. S1. Recorded on the 1st and 2nd of March, 1969, at Morgan Studios in Wilsdon, mm. of which we have some filmed footage. Yes. Which is quite nicely made as this sort of promotional video for it. It's produced by Paul McCartney. Yeah. It comes out on the 28th of March, 1969, so it's quite a quick turnaround, mm. on Apple. It's not one of their first four, but Mary Hopkins... She did... You mentioned her already, didn't you? What did she do? Yeah, Mary Hopkins, those were the days, um, was one of the first four. And it is... Uh, it's a, it is a hit, mm. this one. Good. It spends 14 weeks in the chart and gets to number two in the UK singles oh, chart. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, number 13 in the Billboard Hot 100 in America. Ooh. It's folksy, it's sweet, it's pure McCartney in in origin, mm. despite the Lennon-McCartney credit. And it's just an absolutely fantastic piece of music. It certainly is. Absolutely agree. I, I, want, I do want to mention about that YouTube video though. Um, that's uh, on YouTube. There's the that you can go and find the video of the song with the footage of them in the studio and Mary Hopkin looking so either cool slash bored <laughs> with yes. the process of making this song, which is bizarre because, because the song's so lovely and boppy and great. Um, and it gives a cutting to pictures of Paul and her standing over, I imagine, a console listening to it back on the monitors and. She just looks like she doesn't care at all. Yeah. She's a very cool customer. Um, you know, we better explain. Mary Hopkin is, uh, she's a Welsh singer. She was only 18 years old at the time all this wow. was happening to her. Fine. Which seems strange because it's, you, you think of the Beatles then as like old men, but they're not much, you know, 10 years older than yeah. her or something at like this, totally. And of course their careers started when they were very young. But, yeah, essentially, she was a big hit on the TV show Opportunity Knox. Right, okay. Which was being watched by one Twiggy, the model Twiggy, right. who was in the Beatles circle socially. Mm. And she says to Paul, why don't you go and check her out? Paul does, and he's good. like, yeah, oh, what, mate, go and check him out. It's all right, isn't he? No, she doesn't sound like that at all. Um, she sounds a little bit like that. Yeah, she, um, she sounds posh London, doesn't she? I'm to, um I'm trying to think from the one well, time I've heard to her speak. Bizarre the... Essex. <laughs> right. Like, this is getting off track. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah, Paul McCartney sees her and he's like, yes, we're gonna, we'll sign her to Apple. And mm. she'd only released a few, like, um, EPs of Welsh language folk music by this point. Okay. And he signs her to Apple and they put out Those Were the Days. Yeah. Which was originally a Russian song from sort of the early part da, of the 20th century. Da, Gets... da, da. Da, 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 that That's one. the one. And that, I can imagine that being a Russian song and getting faster and more stompy. As it does, yeah. yeah. And uh, it gets these new English words and it becomes a smash hit. I mean, Those Were the Days was a huge hit internationally. Yeah. Like, massive. And so they follow it up with this and an, uh, it all ends up on an album called Postcard. Okay. And it's... But, I mean, ultimately she moves away from McCartney and Apple... Because he, she liked to do folk music, and right. he was like, do more pop stuff. Okay, is sort of the impression that's been sort of given. And she was, she represents the UK in in the Eurovision Song Contest in 1970. Okay, and a song called Knock Knock, who's there, and is I think comes seconds in second in the points. So she was right. sort of 
almost nailed on to win it, except that Dana came on with all kinds of everything, which was one of those Eurovision smash hits. Right. So, but yeah, uh, had a career in folk basically forever. Oh. Right from these early days. And I've always sort of known about her from those were the days because I think that was one, our parents being sort yeah. of folky. I, know, I, think I, think I think everyone knows that song, don't they? Yeah, I would have thought so. It's very, very like I say, smash hit, super smash hit. Uh, yeah. And then she gets this with a follow-up. Which is... Not bad, eh? Yeah, not bad at all. What a what a start to a career. Um, and I like that mixture. So I can see the um, the conflict, but not the conflict, the, the happy conflict that comes out of the folk meets pop. Because this is back to kind of boppy 60s music again, isn't it? Like, compared to what we've just had with Jackie Lomax and, and Sour Milk Sea, this is more more your bubblegum pop feel but it's not because actually the quirkiness of it belies the really quite nice folky slightly more complex song that sits beneath the happy-go-lucky instrumentation there's some lovely chords and melodies and harmonies going on and it has weirdly i don't know if this is just me has a strange taint of sadness in it oh it definitely does it definitely does without um without a shadow of a doubt yeah. and i mean it's one of the songs featured in paul mccartney's lyrics book yeah. that came out this year. Um, it was Twiggy, of all people, who had come round for dinner with her manager. Um, so there's quite a good story in here about how how he, you know, gets to know Mary Hopkin and stuff mm. like that. Goodbye was in the tradition of the I'm leaving but I'll be back soon kind of song you used to hear when you were a kid. The type of thing that get essentially requested on the um, forces yeah. radio. We you know we'd like to send a song out for someone who's in the Navy or whatever type thing. And he, t- he talks about taking a trip to Scotland and and s- some skipper t- saying it was a great song because it's like, it's like that. So every time you leave port, it's I'll be back type thing. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's <laughs> yeah, it's quite nice. He told me goodbye was his favourite song of all time. I understood because he was always going off on his fishing trips. Uh, but Paul is also likes to mention that that was the first time he'd ever seen Puffins. Right. So there you go. Yeah, um... Yeah, so it, I think it, it's when the strings swell, it's got these lovely strings. It's a strange thing. I think it's possibly wonderful. I don't know if I've heard it. And, it, you know, it's one of these ones in our book again that I've played and not know what its origin is. And I've read, read and played the chords. It's in the, 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 the complete Beatles piano scores. Yeah. And I, I, I've played it slowly. And I've played the... Like, melody, not knowing what it is and how it's meant to be how it, how it sounds but i really love it um she sings it really nicely um and what we have like is it brass or something doing little stabby chords and a double is it a double bass it sounds like well i the sound of the bass on this is interesting so if we're talking about the music in this then we have vocals and acoustic guitar by mary hopkin yeah we have guitar bass drums piano ukulele percussion and backing vocals by paul mccartney i thought there was ukulele or something as well doing picky yeah. stuff and then we have a chap called richard hewson doing the orchestration for it which has got those sort of strings and brass yeah. bits in it who's doing the leg slap that's paul isn't it yeah um going on and kind of a, a brush snare type of very yeah down it's, it's quite simple percussion yeah. probably just a, a kick on a bass drum and a, and a, and a snare and the lovely melodies in the back and vocal straight out of the Beatles playbook, Paul McCartney's type of influence here. Yeah, I I, I love it, really. It makes me happy. So I'm going to give it 79 for music. It makes you 79 happy. It makes me 79 happy. <laughs> There'll always be that 21, though. <laughs> um, 
Production, again, I really like the production too. Um, talking about that thigh-slapping sound, I thought when I first started listening to it and I heard that, I thought that would annoy me because it's never really landed with me when he's done that in other songs. But this one, I think it sets an interesting counterpace over the rest of the song. It's quite, you know, this, it, it, it's it's a different rhythm um, or different meter or beat going over it. Um, and yeah, the, the and a soft slappy sound rather than a cymbal puts it, kind of helps create that bubblegum pop territory that it all lives in same with those stabby little brass chords so i wasn't wondering if it was actually like a moog or something because the brass are like going bap, 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 aren't they in kind of like yeah. triads bap, 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 around it gets a really weird effect it's i think it's very nice i like the way the orchestra's actually mixed and produced on this it's sort of spread yeah. quite nicely across the mix and the string nothing comes in too harshly it just works really well mm. to, in in the balance of the thing where it could be swampy yeah. as so much pop production ter- turns to be when turns to be tends to be yeah. when uh, you stick an orchestra on it as we have witnessed with the likes of PJ Proby oh, and yeah, yeah uh, I think it's very well done. I love the bass sound on it. I think it sounds like it's, the bass is doubled with something. I think it's a standing bass because I think you can hear the sliding. The sliding. I think it possibly a bit of electric and oh, maybe bass a bit as of both. Well. But it all adds up to something that is pop more than rock, but also because of the finger picky guitar and the kind of ukulele stuff that's going on as well. It's obviously got folk roots in it, but very very uniquely so. It's it's there's not many songs like this that I can think of really that has this this overall effect that from those swelling the way those strings are really living in their own reverb really nicely in this kind of little, yeah it's almost sort of almost ethereal yeah they're sound, like in they? a pocket of sound aren't they in some way it's really a pocket of sound yeah like within the mix it's they've got their own little bit it's kind of very strangely in a good way how it's uh, it all sits together uh, the intro sounds lovely too with the guitar. And I'm always, I'm a bit. That's the thing that annoys me a little bit, though. That's clearly Paul McCartney's guitar, the very introduction thing. The right. and it sounds a little bit overbearing. It's a bit loud in the mix, and when mm. it's sort of sat, in, when the other stuff comes in and it, you can hear it in the background, it's distorted a little bit. Mm. But we do know that at the time he was liking doing that because that's the sound they use on Obla D. Yeah. You know, the acoustic, the driven acoustic guitar doubles the bass line. Yeah. In Obla D, Obla Da. So it's like he's sort of gone for that sound in there, and that feels a little bit like it's perhaps a touch out of place. Right. Who produced it? Paul McCartney. Well, there we go then. So we've had two songs produced by Beatles in this one for other yeah. people. Great. Um, I'm going to give it 80 for production, because I think it's really good. Right, yeah. There we go. So lyrics then. The words are slightly less impressive in some parts. I like the first... Well... Well, let me. Here's my example. So the first lines of the first verse is, "Please don't wake me up too late. Tomorrow comes, and I cannot be late. Late today, when it becomes tomorrow, I will leave to go away." Yeah. When you break it, it down, thinking about too much. No. Is it? <laughs> but it it passes. They're kind of non-words. I mean, he uses the word "late" three times in that verse, and there's not much meaning coming over. Of course, and then the the the, the chorus is just the word "goodbye," which is as basic as it can be i mean you could only really get more basically if you just went bye it's it's but it it just passes you over but then i like the next two verses i like the lines especially songs that lingered on my lips excite me now i mean that's a lovely a lovely line songs that lingered on my lips yeah he does mention in his in his lyrics book about how he's used the repeated words 
yeah. So like using like like leave and leave and linger and linger and yeah. Late, late, late. Yeah, because then he goes. The songs that lingered on my lips excite me now, but then it also goes to also lingers on his mind. So he reuses linger, and in the third verse, I like the um, the song of lonely love invites me on line. But then it re- it's repeated from my lover sings a lonely song. So my lover sings a lonely song. The song of lonely love invites me on. That sounds quite nice, actually, doesn't it? But he also rhymes, uses side twice. There's, it's a, it's funny. It's it's a mixture of good lines, but they all seem to just pass you by because of the utter charm of the song. You just just on paper, they're not great. So I gave it forty seven for lyrics, which gives it sixty eight point seven overall. Oh, that's oh, that seems harsh. What the lyrics score? Yeah, I don't know. Well, I think uh, you find that not a bad score. We'll we'll see. Okay. So then we have a Beatles version, which is from the Abbey Road um, anniversary box set, isn't it? It is now, yeah. This is one that did the rounds on bootlegs for a long time. Okay. And unsurprisingly, because it's it's fab. (laughs) Yeah, so let's have a quick listen to it. Please don't wake me up too late Tomorrow comes and I will So, just give me some. What's the, what's the story behind this version then? It's Paul doing it a demo at home. And is he doing it for Mary Hopkins? Was it because at this yeah, point they don't yeah, know if they're going to. He is doing it for her. He's not just yeah. a song and then they go, oh, maybe she could have. No, it's not one he had lying around. It's one he wrote for her. And it's funny when you hear Paul, just the second time, I've, I think we had one, him doing a silly one where, you know, he's singing it. Um, Step Inside Love and like he's doing with this one it's something he's writing for a female artist but then he's singing it in his natural falsetto oh yeah they had to transpose this again for Mary Hopkins yeah. sort of like, like they did with uh, Step Inside Love but he's still singing it in a high register and he, he sounds great it's um, yeah it's, it's it's lovely I think he, he could have done a version I think they, they I don't think it would have been a Beatles one no that's again you like you're talking about with George 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 and Beatles George. Mm. There's something about this that is totally McCartney, but it's it's not totally Beatles McCartney. No. And it's interesting that given that it was a home demo that it has eventually ended up on the Abbey Road box set. Yeah, makes you feel like uh, it was in contention for it, but Well yeah, it's uh mm. I don't know, I'm glad we've got it. Yeah, it's great, it's great. Okay then, well, let's move on to the next one. Penina, Carlos Mendes. <laughs> Nina Paul. Yeah, I can't say anything about that. That's just a, a word. It's the name of a hotel a in hotel Portugal. Okay. Yes. Right. Which is, I believe, well, I'm assuming is the one that's still there if you look up a Hotel Panina in Portugal, which is a big hotel and golf resort mm. place where Mr. McCartney was staying. I'll get into that in a second. But essentially what we've got here is you've introduced it as being by Carlos Mendes. Mm. And that, I believe, is the slightly more successful of two versions that come out of this song. Right. Another one being by Yotta Hera. Right. As how I'm choosing to pronounce that. Okay. Who were the people who were given it first. I'll get into it in a second. 
So, essentially, we have a version by Jota Herra, arranged by Thilo Krasman, and produced by How Martins. Oh, <laughs> suddenly you just you chose you this feel one, Paul. very, I uh, feel very, very English and very, very terrible. Okay. Whereas the Carlos Mendes version is arranged by Joaquim Luis Gomez Orchestra. Okay. They, I think, both versions come out in July 1969 in across Europe. Right. The Yotta Hera version on Philips and Carlos Mendes's version on Parlophone. Right. So that's quite a, a major sort of, label. Yeah, well, I mean, they're both decent-sized labels, but obviously Parlophone has a link back to yeah. EMI and the Beatles. But yeah, this is a Paul McCartney song called Panina that... Let me read you exactly what he said about this. Okay. Into the fan club magazine in 1994, the Paul McCartney fan club magazine. Mm-hmm. I went to Portugal on holiday and returned to the hotel one night slightly the worse for a few drinks. There was a band playing, and I ended up on the drums, which would be a weird enough thing happening to you if you're sort of (laughs) doing your sort of hotel music, and suddenly a a drunk McCartney's jamming with you. The hotel was called Panina. I made up a song with that name, someone made inquiries about it, and I gave it to them. And no, I don't think I should have ever recorded it myself. Yeah. Yeah. He's on holiday in... You know, the the British winter, he decides to go to Portugal, which is always much warmer than here. Yeah. With Heather and Linda and uh, the Beatles biographer, Hunter Davies. I think it's when they find out that Linda's pregnant with Mary and where he proposes to her. Mm-hmm. And there are some very good websites where you can find out loads more about this stuff. So if anyone wants to know more about the circumstances of this, much more than we've got time to get into here, yeah. you can go to theymaybeparted.com and look up Penina on there because that's a fantastic resource. Okay. Uh, but they may be a fantastic resource. This is not a fantastic song. No. Essentially, it is a snippet of a riff that McCartney has called a song and that people have gone, all right, well, we'll put that out. (laughs) Oh, gosh, yes. Bernina. I I, I need to have a a note on this as well for people who who do follow along with the Spotify playlist. So... There's a the, the version that I seem to have found on Spotify for Carlos Mendes is terribly, terribly mixed and tinny for some reason. Whereas I've found that the YouTube version isn't. So you might want to favour that. Or neither. <laughs> yeah, it's the more uh, appropriate response. It would be better. Uh, I mean, I, yeah, well, I'm just going to say straight away, I really dislike this. And I could barely stand listening to it more than a few times. It's got, it's like the worst of McCartney's circularity melodies because he's only got he's only got this tiny snippet of what he's come up with and they've just span it out into three minutes of seemingly random instrumentation being thrown in and out of the song yeah and that's the same for both versions as well that we're talking about it's the the musical material is so limited they're just doing the lyrics the the melody the chords so limited they've just had to chuck everything at it and it just makes for an absolute mess. It's a crazy mess, horrible. And that's, it's so annoying after the, about this, after the second time of, Benina, Benina, like, oh, not again. But that's all it can do. It's like it's stuck in its own hell time warp. It can't, time loop that it can't get out of because there's nowhere to go. And no, didn't think, well, maybe I can, we could move it around. Because I, I, you could kind of hear, that that 
line being the climax of another song, a bit like when a man loves a loves a woman, it has that feel to it. You know the song. Um, I do know the song. And when it reaches that big, those big notes, it starts like that. The song kind of starts like the song has already been happening, and you've just hit that bit. But then it just like you, you're on a loop. I don't. I don't like. I don't really want to say much about it because I don't like anything about it. I'll say that the, the, of the two versions, I prefer the Yotta Hera version over the Carlos Mendes version, the more yeah. popular one, apparently. Okay. From what how you can popular find was out. it? Did it get anywhere? I don't, I don't know. It's very hard to. In you know what the internet is, uh, the internet is amazing, but it can make you feel very, very. Str- if you're trying to do any research outside of your own language or your own country. Yeah you suddenly come up across a lot of problems in that your search engines are all geared to return your results relating to your own language yeah. and all that sort of stuff. I was trying to do a lot of research into Japanese versions of Ed McBain's 87th Precinct books yes, and things. Yeah. And I know there's tons of stuff out there, but it's very, very it's, I mean, it's even harder when the whole language structure or portrayal on, you mm. know, is, is that different. But even looking up stuff about Portugal and things like that, it's... it's you can't rely on automatic no. translation. Anyway, this is all research woes. But, mm. yeah, so I don't know much about it at all. Like I say, there's much more on that they may be parted.com website. But, okay. yeah, the, the problem with the Carlos Mendes version is a piano comes in. It sounds like a drunk person's just wandered in who's <laughs> never seen a piano. The whole song is drunk and should it's go home. It's not jazz. It's no. just... Just, just crap hitting some notes and then it, the, everything quietens down for this piano. Like the band are going, well, who's, who's this guy? I think he might it's like be. A- Les Dawson has come in to make it into a funny thing. I think he might be amazing. I think. Oh no, no, no! Carry on, guys, carry on. <laughs> Everyone, start playing again. It's um. And the strings on both of them go mad. I mean, it's the the Yotta Hera version has a slightly more balanced sort of middle of the road yeah. pop string sound, but on the Carlos Mendes version, the strings are just going. I don't understand what's gone on with it. For the to the same for both versions to be so weird. I actually, when I first put it on, I, I thought, well, this this can't be right. Someone has uploaded <laughs> their own weird mix of something. This can't be the song Paul means. And I looked around and had to find it and listen to it elsewhere to go, now that this is it. I just didn't yeah. believe this was a... This a, is the a, most a, snippety of snippets turned into something. So, why, I don't see why that means you've got to send, just completely fill it with madness. Mad, weird horrible instruments that don't seem to know what they're doing and just keep going up and down and left and right and they're just doing weird things and then it goes quiet and a piano explodes and then they come back again it's just it's just mad that's not just because you've not got much to work with that's what's just strange and there'd be two different versions that are both a bit like that so i'm giving it 35 for music because it's rubbish I think that's generous, yeah. to be honest. Well, I know that's that's it's it's got some music in it. I mean, there are bits where if you if you're listening for three or four seconds, you go, ah, here it is, what it's meant to be, and then it. But yeah. Well, the very first, yeah, the first three or four seconds of the Carlos Mendes version with the piano chords and the and the him trying to do his McCartney impression. Yeah. You're like, oh yeah, I can see this. It's a McCartney, but after that, it's like, yeah, it just goes mad. So production-wise, we've talked about it really. I've put it sounds like a band has fallen over and someone recorded it. Um, like I said, there are times when it sounds okay. The strings are in and the bass and stuff, and it before it quietens down and a, the piano person turns up and they they 
let him do something and then character kind of ignore him. Then it all comes in again and everything just seems to be randomly doing stuff. And then some horns join. The song is drunk. It's awful. Well, yeah, I think that is part of the problem with this. Yeah. Alcohol alcohol has affected this song. <laughs> From its very conception. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I've, I've given it 45 for production. Just... I don't know yeah, why they I, give I, it that, to be I think, to be honest, given that we're talking about two versions simultaneously, kind yeah. of, they're both, there's there's very little to separate them. I'd say, again, yeah. the Yotta Hera version's better produced than the Carlos Mendes version, but there's not much in it. Once again, though, I would like to stress that despite the fact that you've managed to dig up a song that not only do I not like, but actually actively irritates me. Like, <laughs> like I, I've been, whenever it's jumped into my head today, I've thought, oh, God, get out of there, and I've had to kind Yeah, of... well, that's the McCartney touch, isn't it? Yeah. it's There's bits of it where you're going... <laughs> it gets you yeah and I apologise to anyone who's now heard the snippet I must have played by this point but like um, it's still fascinating that, that, that people would grasp at such small straws <laughs> yes. to try and make such big drinks and talking of drinks we can move on to lyrics one of which is the yeah, line funnily enough this sorry Gary funnily enough this doesn't feature in McCartney's lyrics book does it not no no I mean this must be one of the most obscure of the kind of Songs they gave away stuff, wasn't it, really? Oh, completely, totally. Yeah. I wonder how, if, how many people this will become as a surprise to. Uh, we've already had people on Twitter, you know, really interested in some of these songs. You know, me not being as um, well read a Beatles fan as, as yourself, I'm surprised how surprised some of our fans are at some of these songs. This one, I'm presuming, will be a big surprise to people in more than one way. Yeah. Um, but yes, lyrics, talking about... Um, did I want to talk about drinking? Yes, talking about drinking. Yes. One of the lines is drinking liquids, drinking liquids. <laughs> there is a line. Drinking liquids, drinking music. Drinking liquids. Yes, drinking liquids, drinking music. Drinking liquids, Paul. Yeah. That's a line in a song. Drinking liquids. That's a liquids, good start. If you're going to drink solids. anything, go with the liquids. <laughs> drinking liquids. Drinking liquids, eating solids, breathing oxygen. Bring me human. These are things a human person does. <laughs> I, I can't even sing anything, say anything else about the words because there are no words. The word is panina over and over well, again. Well, again, in a bizarre way, um, you know when we were doing What's the New Mary Jane and someone had misrendered the word Aldebaran? Oh, yeah, the, yeah, that's, yeah, that's the one thing. Yeah. In, in the person, who, whoever's put the lyrics up on, on the internet yeah. has put has replaced Albufera, the place in... Portugal with the words Aldebaran on this oh, one. Oh, yeah. Okay, so that was a, so, that's a transcription. I've been to Aldebaran. I had a good time there. It's not that. It's <laughs> Albufera. Drinking liquids in Albufera. Panina. 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 Oh, whatever. It's Panina, my... I don't know what it is. What does it say? I, 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 I lost interest by this point. I, I knew I was only going to give it 20. I've been to Albufera. I had a good time there. Then I came to Panina and found good friends. <laughs> Right, so we're at 20 for lyrics, 35 overall. All right, can I give you a little bit extra on this? Go on then. Because you're about to tell me about the um, the Beatles, uh, the Beatles version, yeah. aren't you? So the Beatles version comes from the Get Back Sessions. Mm. Funnily enough, this didn't make it into no, Peter Jackson's it, didn't film. Make the cut, no. Although I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if an extended cut does turn up eventually that this would turn up because what's happening is this is another one where they've got a, a newspaper article. Yeah. From January the 9th, 1969, from the Daily Express, that rag. Uh, Beetle mm. Paul writes a £20,000 holiday tip. 
in one of those spontaneous gestures for what the Beatles are for which the Beatles are well known, Paul McCartney is making an escudo millionaire out of a Portuguese band leader. It all started during the twenty six year old Bachelor Beatles New Year holiday, and it goes on to say about how he uh, basically gave the, the band leader of, of Yota Hera, the hotel band Annabel Kuna, this song, right, and how it's going to be a hit and how you know how it'll make a lot of money for these people, and you know he does encourage them apparently to put his name on the album sleeves yeah. in really prominent, on the, sorry, the single sleeves in a really prominent way. Yeah. Because if you see Paul McCartney on there, yeah. you know, you're going to take a stab at it. But yeah, so this version of, of Panina that the, the Beatles do, and it is the Beatles, uh, is also tied into him having remembered it because of this annoying article in the Daily Express. So does that mean at the time, because it's, it's during the Get Back session, during that January in 1969, that Linda's pregnant at that time. I believe so, yeah. Right, fair enough. Because must, she must have been if they were celebrating that when they were on the... And he'd already written it, but that Mary is not yet born. No, she's born on the uh, uh, 28th of August, 1969. So it really is. They must have just come back from the holiday where they found this out then. I believe so. Hmm. I wonder if they've not told anyone that's perhaps by this point because it's quite traditionally, you don't often till after your first trimester. So... W- I don't know. I'm pretty sure there's a bit in Get Back where he mentions is something, it? but it's hard to tell. It's, it's one of those I thought someone else in, says about a, a bit... Well, it's present. hard to tell in those bits in Twickenham where they don't marry up the audio and the yeah. visuals quite the way, you know, it's slightly confusing mm. way occasionally. Anyway, just, just, yeah, just interesting timeline things about how close this is to all that. And yes, there is a sketchy bit of audio from the Get Back Sessions, which we will listen to now. Now I'm on my way home. I really don't care. And I've been I mean, it's it's almost as sketchy as the song that comes out at the end of it, isn't it, really? Yeah. I can't believe someone did something with that and made it worse. <laughs> um, it, it only ever deserved Paul singing it for about three seconds in the middle of a get, get back faff around. That's all it ever needed to be. And um, we move on? We've, getting, just, just, we've covered it now. That's, that's the thing. So let's move on to our final song, because we're only doing the four today, which is Come and Get It, Badfinger. If you want it, here it is, come and get it, make your mind up fast. If you want it, anytime, I can give it, but you better hurry cause it may not last. Did I hear you say that there must be a Come and get it, Paul. Well, with a song this good, I'm there. Good. So, so this is a nice... I'm glad we're ending on this and not Panina. <laughs> yes. This is uh, Paul McCartney's song uh, as performed by Badfinger. People will know this one pretty well, I'm sure. This was another one that was hugely bootlegged in the, in the McCartney version, certainly mm. alongside the extant Badfinger version. It's recorded on the 2nd of August 1969 in Abbey Road, produced by McCartney. Okay. Intended to accompany the film The Magic Christian, which Ringo is in. Yeah. 
that comes out on the 12th of December 1969 and we know that the get back sessions were up against sort of the date for starting the filming yeah. of The Magic Christian. This comes out on the 5th of December 1969 on Apple, uh, back to the song called Rock of All Ages, also from the Magic Christian soundtrack. Mm. Spends 11 weeks on the chart at a peak of number four. Okay. And it's uh, oh, just a cracking song. Yeah, it certainly is. It's a cracker. So did you say it did, it did come out as part of The Magic Christian? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's in it's the main song from the film, The Magic Christian. Uh, so is that is the theme? Because I've not seen The Magic Christian. Is the theme? Does that marry up with the, the, the theme? This is this is, yeah. So the, if anyone's not seen The Magic Christian, like me, I can't. It's a funny one. I watched it again literally this week. Okay. It's been on Talking Pictures TV in the UK a, a few times, and I've caught up with it again for the first time in ages. It's written. It's a film based on a book by Terry Southern. Stars Peter Sellers and, and Ringo Starr. Mm-hmm. As essentially, Peter Sellers is an eccentric millionaire, multi-millionaire who spends his time playing pranks on people with money. Mm. And for some reason, in the film version, he adopts a homeless man, Ringo, and makes him his son, and they just do it together. Right. It's a strange thing. It's got so many amazing people in it. It's, it's all just made up of set pieces of things happening, like. Um, him getting a parking ticket and then bribing the uh, parking meter person played by Spike Milligan to eat the ticket for thousands of pounds, bribing mm. the Oxford and Cambridge boat race, mm. boxing matches, weird things in restaurants, uh, art gallery auctions and things like that. And it's one of these ni- very 1960s films, very late 60s films, which is fascinating but not necessarily good not necessarily good it's a, it's a shame because it's it, on paper it should be everything i like but well, yeah. it doesn't really work at all and it's the, the climax of the film and essentially is he the, a, a supposed super liner called the magic christian is going to take only the richest most exclusive people away on a trip and he basically pays to turn this into a madcap thing and everything goes weird on it and it becomes a complete psychedelic freak out thing right and and that's the climax of the film but then the film continues right with one last stunt where he's filling a a pool with animal feces <laughs> and uh throwing money in it so people are getting in just to you know what? It it's like it's... it's sort of a weird moralizing thing about money except it doesn't work yeah it sounds like they've got the wrong end of the st- <laughs> yes, yeah, so got hold of the wrong end of the stick and proceeded to beat around the bush with it. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, that's the film that it's from, but it does feature this and we so get this song as a result of it. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, that gives us some context for lyrics when we get to that bit then. Music, though, we're in very familiar territory here as far as, uh, like you said, I think a lot of people would know this and quite a lot of people wouldn't know it was a McCartney-penned song, I don't think, unless they were already Beatles fans um, beyond just the casual... I like it's got that chugging bass line that drives it with the piano chords. Nothing fancy, just stomping it out with the beat to underpin the um, the catchy melody that layers up with the harmony that's just kind of begging to join in once you've heard it. When you've heard it once, you're waiting for that that second layer of harmony to come in. It's so natural to the ear as, as, as are McCartney's harmonies and melodies so often. It's got those the, the little features in it like the sunny bit sunny you're waiting for that bit it's just very easy for the brain to latch onto it it's a catchy little ditty 
it's definitely hit worthy but it's not actually all that meaty musically is it it's it's all in the kind of melody and no nonsense delivery i think yeah this is another one in paul mccartney's lyrics book he talks about this because um he says it's a bit like love me do very similar thoughts Mm. but he was trying to write a hit so he's kept it simple yeah you know very easy to grab hold of what's going on in this yeah really and not only has he written it he's also done his demo version of it Mm. and basically said to them copy this right this is a hit just do it like this yeah yeah because the only thing it can lose its way a bit for about three beats when it tries to it does try at one point to do something slightly different and it just kind of stops and then they start again and i don't understand what they're doing there but it doesn't sound very neat it kind of goes off into a a c section (laughs) you know (laughs) which is an unexpected turn for a song Uh, no it goes off into it it has a it has a middle not even not mid eight it just goes into a break about two-thirds of the way through and it all kind of slows down and stops and then then they start again and with the big thing and it just it just loses way a little bit there um because it's probably should have just stuck to what it was doing yeah, it's good. I mean, it's it's definitely a hit, and I like it musically. I'm going to give it 64 for music because I think it's it. He is kept it's kept it simple, you know, for for catchy ear fun, for catchy ear fun. Yeah. Can I just say we haven't mentioned actually who Badfinger are? Oh yeah, who Badfinger? So there were a, originally there were a band called the Ivies from mm. Swansea, and they get signed to Apple. I think essentially through Mal Evans, who'd seen them. Okay. And they bring them in and they change their name to Badfinger because after the working title for with a little help from my friends, mm. which was called Badfinger Boogie right. originally. And so they get that and they stick the name on. And it is a more of a standout name than the Ivies, which is a bit yeah. old and 60s group, whereas Badfinger sounds a bit more interesting. Yeah. And they do... The, I mean, they're an astonishingly good band, Badfinger. Mm. Really, really good. And you've got Tom Evans, Pete Ham, Ron Griffiths, Mike Gibbons... And they've had they have some differences in lineups. The, the story with Badfinger, though, without being too depressing, at the end of this run of things, yeah, is basically after they end up leaving Apple Records, and once that all sorts of goes to pot in the early seventies, they they are stiffed by a manager, you right. know, as happened to so many people, particularly in the seventies. They really struggle with management, and it it leads to essentially the suicide of of Pete Ham. Oh. In 1975, and uh, an ongoing thing, whereas the suicide of Tom Evans in 1983. Oh. So it's a really sad story. And this, and basically, Badfinger are the band that created and wrote "Without You," the song "Without You," mm. one of the biggest songs. Can't live if living is without oh, yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, done by Harry Nilsson. Yeah. In the 70s, so it was already a massive hit. Mm. Um, let alone more famous versions from, you know, later years. Yeah. yeah, it's a very tragic tale, the tale of Badfinger, because they were really good. Yeah. Yeah, and should have had a really big career in the 70s, but just absolutely yeah. done over by crooks. Yeah. As was happening quite a lot. From, yeah. As is the music business, isn't it? You know, yeah, there was 5% a few talent and 95% hot. sharks. Yeah, it's, it's very sad. But anyway... If you listen to this and the flip side of it, Rock of All Ages, it's such a, such an amazing 70s sound mm. to them. In a way, Come and Get It's a bit of an odd one because they uh, that sounds Beatles-y yeah. rather than yeah. sort of rocking 70s stuff. 
I'll have to have it. would be nice if they're in my random vinyl collection that I'm working through. I, I'd quite like to hear a Badfinger um, record, like, you know, a full record. So I'll uh, keep my eyes open if, if, if it's in there or not. I'll go and get one. Yeah, so um, on to production then. It's well put together, as we'd expect. Who is it produced by, would you say? Paul, Paul? McCartney. Yeah, yeah, sorry, you did say. Um, I love the sound. The voices merge great. The bass is full and the percussion is sitting with the drums great as well. Um, as I say, not so sure about the slow down bit in the final third. Um, I think they could work that out a little bit better, but it soon sorts itself out. It's it's a bit like the music. It's not massively ambi- ambitious, but it's placed right for the song. It didn't. Yeah. In fact, there's not really any. Is there even a guitar on it? Because it's mostly piano, bass, voices, drums, percussion. No, I don't think there is. No, and that's quite unusual, isn't it? There's, you it is quite unusual. You've got a, a guitar on it. There's no. There's no solo bit either, is there? It's no, I think it's 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 very, um, you know, all the fat has been trimmed down to a hit, and it sounds it. in that in and that. Therefore, it's not a fussy production, and therefore it works really well. So I'm giving it seventy three for production. Nice. So it's it's another one with the drums all over on one side and the bass all over on the other. Well, it works as well, which yeah. is fun. So that's three out of these four songs have all been produced by the Beatles as well. So that's interesting. Yeah. Um. On to the lyrics then. So, I, you know, obviously we filled in a bit of the gaps that I was going to ask you about, which is why, <laughs> what is, what's it about? You know, why is he saying that? Um, obviously it's to do with the film. Um, because otherwise it would just be about someone saying, come and get my, get, get my money, isn't it? Really? That's, that's it. So, um, but it, it's it's handy, really. That's the theme of the film because that's quite. It's, it's a good line if you want it. Come and get it. You could easily have turned it to a song about love or something like that if you if you wanted to. But yeah. because there was a reason for it, it's it's it works well. Uh, what amazes me about this song is that it was a hit and that he wrote it and he gave them the lines to sing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He just he just doesn't write a lyric and has hums in it. So it's, the yeah. lyric is literally hum, mm-hmm, isn't it? It always feels like there should yeah, be some it's, words. It's in mad. There. It's yeah. mad, but it it works. Yeah, it does. Uh, you could you could actually do an interesting exercise, and I started doing this today, and then thought, what am I doing? Stop. Which is what would he have? Did he sit there going, if he, if you want it, here it is, come and get it. Um. But you've got it. Something, 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 thing, something. But because it's going fast. Well, it is. But you but you better hurry because it's going fast. If you want it, if you want it, anytime or whatever it is. I was just trying to think what would go in there because sometimes it's not hums, is it? It would be, it'd be something naff-like, but don't take long, make your mind up fast. Yeah. You know, would fit the scheme, but it would be stupid. But then the mm becomes an interesting thing about it, doesn't it? Um, what was the other song we had which had interesting hums in it from a few episodes ago? I can't remember a few episodes ago. I'm an old man, as we've established. Yeah, there's no point in me trying to remember. It's just dead air. No, you've just, just got a rubbish memory. To... to Two people just thinking. Um, uh, yes, uh, it's um, it, yeah. Lyrics. It doesn't really go anywhere else beyond that. That money can we get it thing. So fifty nine. I given it for lyrics. Okay, which gives it sixty five point three overall. And that just leaves us with the Beatles version anthology uh, on anthology three to listen to. So let's have a, a listen now.
So you said, you've, you've mentioned this as Paul's version. Is it Paul playing everything then? Yeah, it is. Ah. So essentially, this is, he claims to have done it in about 20 minutes. Right. As in, he's gone in, he's written it at home. Yeah. And he's gone into the studio, he's done the drums, and he's just basically gone, I'm going to track it now. Piano on top of that, bass on top. Whatever he's put, so however many layers there are is how long it took him. Yeah. Which and is, then I can believe. It, it, he can literally take, say, I've spent 20 minutes doing this. Here you go. Have a, have a number four hit. <laughs> well, I can, I can, I can believe that because he's already written it. It's got, it's made, it's designed to be simple. And as someone who multitracks with myself all the time, if you know what the song is and you get it right, it, it, yeah, but take... you, you don't get it right though, do you? You get it wrong every time. Well, you, something else. You twenty minutes. I don't know. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's it's it's. But then I'm not Paul McCartney. It's mad impressive, and you're not talking about twenty minutes now, where you could just quickly hitting. You know, cut, yeah, this isn't cut, this isn't start yeah, again. Pro Tools, yeah, looping. You're not in logic, kind of like just hitting R to get going. It's like go on, go on, start it, start it running, and wind it back, and cue me up, and all that. But I can imagine if because it's a simple song, he didn't need much on it. I know, even though twenty minutes is possibly an exaggeration, it wouldn't be far off. But it's it's a bit slower, isn't it? This yeah. yeah. The tempo is the main difference. Yeah. And that, that's that's good that they they, they obviously recognised that before, uh, you know, they put their version down because I think it would have, it wouldn't have been a, a hit at this speed. It needed that. It needs to be faster. And it was faster. So that's that's all good. So yeah, that's, that's, um, that's it, Paul. That's it. We're done. Um, so before we, we just do our final amble, ramble, um, let's just look at the uh, the top ten from this five episodes. We've got one song, Paul. I don't know if you'll be able to guess which song it is that didn't make it into the top ten. <laughs> I reckon I could have a guess. So, yes, Panina has ended out of a chart of 24 songs the Beatles gave away at number 24 of 24. And I think, Lucky to get that. Yes, it is. It's lucky I didn't just strike it out of the podcast altogether. So I, I, I was slightly miffed with you earlier. <laughs> Having to have I didn't a, write it. Sound, I know you well, chose Paul it. Paul McCartney barely wrote it. <laughs> no, I was like, oh. Penina. Oh, it makes me shudder. So let's do the good things then, which is the top 10 from the songs the Beatles gave away. My top 10, I must stress, goes yeah, a not little. mine. Sorry? Not mine. Not yours, but you wouldn't ever commit to one, so there's no no worry with that. My top ten goes like this. At number ten, Love of the Loved, Scylla Black. At number nine, I'll Be On My Way, Billy J. Kramer and the Dakotas. At number eight, Bad To Me by Billy J. Kramer and the Dakotas. At number seven, A World Without Love, Peter and Gordon. At number six, Come and Get It, Badfinger. Woman by Peter and Gordon at number five. Goodbye by Mary Hopkin at number four. It's For You by Silla Black at number three. Sour Milk Sea, Jackie Lomax at number two. And Step Inside Love by Silla Black at number one. Amazing. Well done, Silla. Yes. Sinner. 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 Well, she did like Mark. Well well done, Silla. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's um, a nice little chart, that. I like them. Them songs. I like like lots of the ones that didn't make it in the top ten as well. It'd be make a good collection. Of songs, mostly, you know, I'd, there's a few I'd call, <laughs> but um, yeah, nice little compilation. I very much enjoyed it. Thank you, Paul, for curating this list for us. It's been very interesting. Mm. Like I've said before, you know, I wasn't 
super familiar with a lot of these things. So it's been very interesting to move from those early days of the beat numbers right through to these last Apple era yeah, stuff. Absolutely. So thank you for coming with us on this journey. And as I said, we are going to have a bit of a break now um, while we think about the second half of series two, which is yeah. likely to include things like films and maybe some BBC session stuff. But we will, if you keep in touch with us on Twitter, we will make it all very clear when we're coming back. Um, and it's a it's a season hiatus rather than a, a end of season, so it shouldn't be too long. Just a little break, a little New Year break. Yeah, we need a bit of time, a bit of time over Christmas and whatnot. So, thanks for sticking with us. Have a lovely 2022, and we will see you soon. Goodbye. Beatles, please. Beatles, <laughs> please.